Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 17 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Will. And as we're recording this, it's January 31st, and when it's... um it's the podcast airwave. It's going to be February 1st. So Woo-hoo! how was your January? It was good. It was good. Not quite what I expected in some ways, but... How so? Well, <laughs> in the in, a couple of weeks ago, I got promoted um, in the day job. And I'm, I'm back in a role that I haven't been in since we moved to California. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting used to... Everything that that means again, because I haven't done that kind of job in a year and a half now. So, figuring out how that impacts time and impacts the the hours I spend on the day job and everything. So, January had some unexpected twists in it, but uh, it was all good. You've been talking a lot on the phone. Yeah, I have been very (laughs) chatty lately. I've gone from maybe, at least this past week, from talking on the phone about an hour and a half a day for the job to... I swear the majority of the day, especially especially since Wednesday on the phone, um, on the phone a lot. But yeah. the, the good thing is it hasn't seemed to impact the writing schedule mm-hmm. too much. I get that done in the morning before I kick in to day job mode. Uh, Codename Wingers, cruising right along on its edits. Yeah. Good. Yeah. How's your week been? How was your January? Let's get let's just talk big picture. January. Well, I was the reason I asked you because I knew you would talk about it. I don't really have anything to talk about. My January was fine. Well, good. Pretty uneventful. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that was pretty, you know, exceptional or anything. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty. If I hadn't been promoted, it would have been a run of the mill month. Yeah. With this doing what we're supposed to do and just yeah getting things done, Truck, trucking along, trucking along, doing our thing. Yeah. Something cool that did come in the mail in January, which I'll reach over here and get so that the pod, so that the video audience can see it, is this lovely book. Let me just you know stick it right in the middle of the camera. Uh, this big coffee table book is called Masterpiece of Man, and uh, I hadn't heard of it until relatively recently when artist Michael Bayette uh, mentioned it on his email list. Now we've been a fan of Michael's art for quite some time, and. Again, if you're on the video, this co- the cover of the book is actually one of his uh, pieces. Yeah. We we own a few reproductions. We buy his calendar uh, every year to mm-hmm. hang up in the house. And uh, this book apparently was limited edition. It costs a pretty, pretty, pretty penny if you buy it off of Amazon uh, as a resale. Is it, um, uh, it well, the it's, it, I won't even attempt to. To, yeah, to, to you pronounce see, its actual title. It's in Italian? Was it published in Italy? I believe I it assume? was published in Italy. Yeah. Um, Michael got a hold of a few copies, I believe, in December mm-hmm. for a reasonable price. Yeah. Uh, and I missed getting that. Uh, I had it. I was putting it in the cart, and it said there were some, and I got it to the cart, and there were none. And then he came back to his email list and says, I have more! And that time, I was able to get a book, yeah. which thrills me. This book is Gorgeous. Um, it has a number of artists that I've heard of. Um, it has a nice tribute section to Steve Walker, who's one of my favorite all-time artists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's been on the cover of a few books. Um, his artwork was used heavily, I believe, by Allison, maybe, in the or Kensington, 
back in the 90s on some of their titles. Uh, mm-hmm. It's gorgeous work. This book is awesome. Uh, I'll link to it on Amazon so you can at least check it out there. But my God, it's expensive on Amazon. I think it goes for over $1,000. Yeah. And I was... Please not to pay anywhere near that for it. Because that's crazy town, <laughs> even for this gorgeous book. Yeah. Um, but it's really nice. They did a good job. Lots of full-page uh, reproduction of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Lots of interviews from the artists and commentary from either critics or art lovers or other artists about the artists. Uh, I think it covers over uh, easily over 100 artists. So mm-hmm. it's worth looking at if you're into that at least checking it out on amazon and i'll see if i can link up to some other information on it in the show notes but maybe very happy to own this book yes indeed speaking of art well very tangentially (laughs) speaking of art um uh, in case you haven't heard the news coloring books are uh big business right now and uh, I have something to show the, the audience uh, watching the video as well. I am, or recently have become, a coloring enthusiast. Um, I'm showing some of my most recent <laughs> um, pieces of... I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um, well, And if people were watching the holiday episodes on the door... Every week you added a piece or two to the door that was behind us in the holiday episodes through most of December. Yeah, the reason I got back into coloring is because I needed something to do to while I listened to podcasts. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And we listened to quite a few uh, together. Mm-hmm. You either, you know... You work, or you edit, or you do something on the computer while we're listening. I uh, I can't do that. I can't listen to people talk and have to, like, think about something at the same time. Mm-hmm. I need something to keep my hands busy that I don't have to think about. Um, yeah, it's just, I can't concentrate. Like, <laughs> focused concentration on two things at once is... It's hard for me. So um, I do crafty things or I color, uh, something like that. Um, Over the holidays, I made some of the paper chains that you may have seen hanging up in Jeff's office uh, during this podcast. And so I do little tiny coloring or crafty projects. But coloring's big. I mean, we've heard it on some of the podcasts we listen to that adult coloring books are, are kind of big business now. And there's a whole... Yeah. It's a trend on Amazon and to yeah. buy them and I yeah I can't I think I don't know it's a fad it's a fad I enjoy watching you color though I'll look <laughs> over and see what he's doing and when, and when I finish I put them up on the refrigerator yeah because that's what you're supposed to do and but as we were talking about this I mean the audience can definitely expect a question of the week at some later point about what do you do while you're listening to podcasts um, that won't be this week but. Yeah. Yeah, it's I a definite could, future one. Yeah, I color. So there you go. Uh, the other thing to chat briefly about since we're back from winter TV break is mm-hmm. superheroes on TV. Yes. DC has managed to take over four of five weeknights um, between Supergirl, Arrow of the Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, I certainly like a lot what's happening on uh, the CW with what they term the Arrowverse since everything kind of sprouted off of Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But even those three shows, along with Supergirl, are very much in line with the superhero that I grew up with. Because I grew up in the era of Super Friends on ABC Saturday mornings. Um, and even the Marvel stuff that was on uh, CBS with, like, Shazam and that kind of thing and ISIS. Uh, where the superheroes, you know, were good guys and they did their thing. And Actually, it, Shazam is is Shazam DC? Okay, yes, forget yes. I said that. See, so, okay. So here, here's the thing: we're not hardcore geeks no. by any means. No, um, we are casual fans of uh, superhero programming. So when we say something, you know, blatantly wrong, please don't, you know, jump all over yeah, us. I'm sorry. I thought we're. <laughs> I really thought so, someone would have noticed, and someone would have written in. Yes, I'm glad you. I'm glad you corrected that. Anyway, but anyway, in in my youth, superheroes were shiny, happy beacons of truth, justice, the American way, all that stuff. And even in the later, you know, as DC became movies with Superman and Christopher Reeve, Superman was a good guy, and he was doing good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I love what DC is doing on TV uh, with their heroes. And at the same time, as we get really close to the release of Superman versus Batman to the theaters, I am less enthused about where DC seems to be going in the movie verse. Um, the dark, brooding. And I get Batman's always brooding. Don't get me wrong. Batman's a dark hero. He's always been the dark hero of, the, of, of DC. Um, and I liked. I never saw the last. Batman that Christopher Nolan did, um, Dark Knight Rises or whatever that last one was with Christian Bale, but I appreciated the previous two films in that series. But this this changing of Superman that started with Man of Steel, um, I, which is a movie I never could finish. Um, I don't. It, it's not speaking to me. I'm much happier in the in the in the TV universe where the where there's humor and they're fighting for good and yeah they may be a little damaged because certainly Arrow's a little dark. Uh, but he's counterbalanced by Felicity's, you know, buoyant <laughs> quips that come out every now and then, uh, and people trying to keep him, you know, keep his humanity intact. So, yeah, loving the TV. I think, I think where um, the television series um, have really taken advantage of the format is is that they have. Um, Many, many episodes, an entire season to tell uh, an interesting story arc. And they can focus on characters. And they don't have to worry uh, as much with, you know, getting a certain number of big, expensive tentpole action scenes into a two or two and a half hour. Because, you know, these stupid... God, these summer movies are getting longer and longer. Yeah. So, I think... uh, I think where these series uh, are strongest is, is that it gives an audience a chance to uh, know and relate to these characters, um, no matter you know whether they're you know funny and happy like Supergirl and Flash, or maybe a little darker and serious like some of the stuff that goes on on Arrow. Um, it, we really can you know. Uh, over several hours of, of television, uh, kind of uh, be drawn into and understand their world a little bit more. I think um, uh, I think this has become more prevalent in the Marvel movies. Is that I think they're hampered by a certain 
formula and by uh, their shorter running time. Um, with you know every movie that comes out, there are certain uh, expectations of what a Marvel. Uh, I'm picking on Marvel um, because well they have a you know larger universe. Yeah, they've been so working far. on their movie verse lot more than DC has um, been. So I think where they're hampered, um, and let's face it, that last Avengers movie was kind of a dog. It was there. There, there I liked it better than you did. <laughs> the void. <laughs> anyway, so I think they're they're hampered by what those movies are, you know, supposed to be, and by the running time, and you have to shove, you know, twenty different heroes into you know, your two hour running time. So I think, um, uh, especially shows like. Um, Legends of Tomorrow, you have a very large cast of superheroes, but you have, you know, several hours over the course of, you know, the season that they have to to explore and tell each of those characters' stories. You don't have to shoehorn them into an Avengers-type scenario. And for some of them, we already know stuff because most of them spun off from somebody else's show where we were already somewhat exposed to them. So... Yeah. But yeah, superheroes on TV, love it. And a, and a shout out to Marvel's Agent Carter too, because I've, I've enjoyed uh, at least the first three episodes that we've seen since she came back. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that story, that story's going to end up making sense, but I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, I don't think it makes any sense at all so far. <laughs> here's, here's, I think... But uh, it's funny. <laughs> I really, I do think it's funny. I really, really enjoy the cast. I love... Haley Atwell and everyone else they've assembled on that show. I think everyone is smart and they're funny and uh, they're they're a great uh, group of actors um, mm-hmm. who are obviously having fun with their characters. Um, but the story <laughs> they have to execute doesn't um, always pan out or make much sense. So I I thought the first season of Agent Carter. Um, was okay. I don't think. I mean, the, technically, the move to uh, Los Angeles doesn't, you know, really make any sense. I mean, but you know, that's where they are. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> fun. It's, it's it's enjoyable. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, whatever. Zero matter. The yeah. brand new thing. I don't know. Anyway, moving on to the question of the week. Uh, last week, our guest author Jordan Nasser asked. How do the seasons affect your reading, the amount of reading, and the kinds of books you're reading? Uh, and we also had a giveaway going on uh, with this. If you answered the question of the week, uh, you were in the running to receive two signed paperbacks from Jordan for his Home is a Fire and the Fire Went Wild books. Uh, congratulations to Eileen, who was the winner that we pulled earlier this morning. Uh, she responded that uh, she never thought about seasons affecting the reading, but here in the North Northeast... It gets dark very early, and she tends to go to bed earlier. So she probably reads more in the winter because she does her reading before bed. Um, but she then added, if she takes a, a vacation in the summer, that she can easily read a book a day. Mm, good. Christina said, I had to go back and see for sure, just like I did. Uh, it seems that when baseball season approaches, I start to read more athlete find love books. Uh, then through the summer, I go to cheesy and fun romance and fantasy. Seems most of my fantasy is done in late spring, summer. When October hits postseason, I'm not reading very much. 
come winter, I tend to favor BDSM and darker books. I didn't realize this at all. I have some cheesy thrown in here and there in the winter and dark ones tossed in about the summer, but for the most part, I do tend to have reading seasons and I didn't even notice. Well, I'm glad we could get you uh, thinking and exploring yeah. those reading habits. Because it certainly did for us, too. We had to think about the, the answers yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you can see the other responses that we got on the show notes uh, page for this episode. Yeah. Okay. So today we have something a little unique uh, and special. Um, a couple of days ago, we talked to J.M. Snyder. Uh, we interviewed her. And the interview went a little bit long because we had a whole lot of really interesting stuff to talk about. Um, today, we're going to be... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tell t- sh- sh- uh, 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 Oh, God. Total... Uh-oh. Oh, man. Reboot. <laughs> Reboot. Reboot. Today, today we're going to be... Um, I was going to say showing you, but no, we're not showing you. We're going to be playing you the first part of yeah. the... Thanks for letting me just hang there. For Sorry, a... I didn't know where you were trying to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, here. Okay, going back, we have a really fantastic interview with J.M. Snyder. And um, today we're going to be uh, playing you the first part of that interview. Uh JM um, is an author, but she also runs JMS Books, and she's going to tell us a little about about the uh, sort of the origin stories of uh, starting her own micro press. And she's also going to talk to us about a new series of stories that she has coming out through the press called Love Wins. Mm-hmm. The Love Wins books start coming out on this this coming Sunday, uh, February seventh. Jan- oh, I almost said January. Mm-hmm. Darn it! It's February. It's February seventh. Okay, and, and you'll hear us have issues <laughs> with the dates in the podcast too. And it occasionally it sounds a little weird because we actually recorded this with the idea of playing it for the next episode. So some of it's geared that way. These books do come out, start coming out February seventh, and they come out every week throughout February. I do have a story in that called Make the Right Choice, uh, which involves uh, Leo and Matt from my Hat Trick series. It's kind of their first time to come out of, from being supporting characters to having their own uh, book and tell some of their own story. Uh, I was thrilled that we got to interview JM. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her book. In particular, the first book I've read of heard was called Power Play. Uh, it remains one of my very favorite uh, hockey books of all time uh, involving... Hockey player Ryan and short track speed skater Dante. Uh, mm. They have a wonderful story. And I met JM at Rainbow Book Fair in 2011 to get her to sign my paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, and in talking with her and telling her the story that I was writing, uh, which evolved into the Hat Trick series, it's really what got me on board because she was interested in seeing it when I was done. And, of course, she eventually published it through JMS Books. Yeah. Along with all of its sequels. So, with that, here is the first part of our interview with J.M. Snyder. We're very excited today on the podcast to welcome J.M. Snyder, um, who's both an author and a publisher. And I'm happy to say is my publisher uh, for the Hat Trick series, along with some other stories of mine. Welcome, J.M. Hello. So, for our our audience who may not be familiar, if you could introduce yourself both as an author and a publisher, that would be great. Um, okay. My name is J.M. Snyder, obviously, and I have been publishing um, MM erotic romance and romance since around 2000. 
I started self-publishing and then began e-publishing with the now defunct Aspen Mountain Press. Um, and then I moved into e-publishing with Amber Quill and I worked with other publishers like Torqueray and a few others. Um, and in 2010, I was speaking with a friend of mine who was not publishing with a publisher. He was writing free fiction online, uh, publishing it on Nifty and such. And he wanted to get into publishing. And I, at that point, had some books that were coming out of contract. And none of the publishers who I was working with were taking reprints at the time. And we decided to start our own press. Or rather, he encouraged me to start my own press because he didn't want to get on the on the um, hook for it. So I started JMS Books and began publishing. At first, it was invite only, and it was very small, and it's still very small. But we opened it up to submissions, and um, we've done pretty well. In 2011, I quit my day job to go publishing and writing full time. Unfortunately, I don't write as much as I'd like, <laughs> but the publishing takes over. Um, I also write lesbian fiction under the name J.T. Marie, and I write gay YA fiction under the name J. Thomas. I've also branched into MMF fiction under Shauna Jean. I've found that if you write different genres, you should probably write under different pseudonyms because not everybody who reads one type of story by you wants to read all of the other types of stories by you, which I understand. So I do write under different names and I don't make it a secret. So, but now if you didn't know that, you know, <laughs> so in a nutshell, that's me. I didn't know about the MMF pen name. That was a new one for me. Well, it's not, I have not written very much under it. I will admit. Um, but, and most of it's very, very short because it's sort of an experiment. Um, but if there's like five books, <laughs> five stories, and and I think the longest is if it's 24,000 words, it's not very long. So it's it's a little harder to get it, to, to write three to different characters all in a scene at one time <laughs> for me. It, it My mind doesn't work that way. But it's interesting. It's different. It's a lot of pronouns. Well, it is a lot of pronouns. At least it's not all the same pronoun. True. But I guess if I ever wrote, and I've written MMM before, and I tend to do that with a first person <laughs> only, so I don't have he and he and he. But it's, yeah, it's keeping everybody straight in the in the act. It's like whoa, mm -hmm. I don't know where. It's almost like playing um, what's that word? The the game where you have Twister. That's what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture it as Twister on a bed, but yeah. I mean, it's so fun, it, but it's different. Very different. It is Valentine's week. And with that, you're putting out the Love Wins series. Yes. Uh, starting this week. Well, uh, actually, tell us a little bit about before. that series. We started the week before. The first ones come out the week of February. Is it February 4th? Is that the, the Sunday? February 7th is the Sunday, and then we come out on the 8th. Yes, it's, um, but the first, okay, February 7th. I was thinking February 1st was, I, I, I get confused on the Sundays, just because January has to end on a Sunday. Um, but it's 
the Love Win series, we decided to come up with this after the Supreme Court decision that approved, I guess approved, gay marriage or legalized gay marriage in all 50 states. And we thought it would be nice to do a series of stories that had a celebratory tone to it. Um, we wanted a contemporary series um, that celebrated gay marriage after legalization. They aren't all, all the stories are not set in America because other countries have legalized it earlier. We do have one that is set in the UK. Um, I want to say it's set in Ireland, but I'm not quite sure. But um, <clears throat> so we do have some that are not set in America, but they are set in other parts of the world that have it legalized prior to the Supreme Court ruling. And I wanted it to be not only MM, because we do have some FF authors who do have their own following. So we have four that are FF stories and the rest are MM. We are releasing four a week and there's four weeks in February. So that would be 16 stories. Um, I will admit at the this point, they're not all up on the site yet because not everybody has turned in their blurbs. But <laughs> that's... That's the hardest thing I think most people find when writing a book is the blurbs. But I, I know I have issues writing blurbs myself. Trying to get a 20 or 30K story down to 200 words is very difficult to do. But I, I feel your pain if that is your problem, writing blurbs, because I have the same issue. Um, <clears throat> blurbs are awful. And, and Will are, can attest to that if he helps me with my blurbs. Blurbs are really bad. <laughs> now, this, the funny thing is that we some, some distributors require shorter blurbs and longer blurbs. The shorter blurbs, once you've written the longer blurbs, are super easy to do. I can truncate 200 words down to 140 characters. I can't do it the opposite way. But yeah, blurbs are... The bane of all writers. I just, they're horrible. But they have to come to me all at once. <laughs> Usually much later after I finish the story. So, but no, the Love Wins series, hopefully readers will appreciate them. Um, some authors, we have actually several authors. We have you and we have Tinian who is revisiting, they're revisiting characters who they've um, written in the past. On my story also revisits it, uh, characters from an earlier story. Drew Hunt's story does the same thing. I hope that, that readers will like that because these are characters that they've seen in other stories and hopefully have grown to love or at least wanted to know more about and wanted to see in a relationship or in a progression of their relationship that they did not have a chance to in the other story. But um, so we have at least four of those stories that will be a continuation or a revisitation of earlier works. And hopefully for people who might be new, that actually provides the entree into the, the series that those characters spun off from. True, too. because those stories do, I think, stand on their own. I mean, like yours are completely it's a completely different story from the hat trick series. Like you can read the Leo and Matt story without having read Simon and Alex's. So you don't have to go in and go, Oh, well I've not read hat trick. So I don't need, I can't read this. 
whereas some stories you can't do that with. And Drew's Calvin and Brock, you don't have to go back and read his Calvin's Cowboy story to know who these characters are. He sort of reintroduces them early on. And my story, which it revisits my characters from It's All Relative, takes place 11 years after the fact, because it's been 11 years since I wrote that first story. So I sort of reintroduce them as well. You don't have to have read the first story where Michael came out to his family and introduced his army boyfriend. And now, you know, it's don't ask, don't tell has been repealed and gay marriage is now um, legalized. And so his boyfriend, now lover, is in the military openly in a relationship with a gay man and is going to propose marriage to him. You don't have to have read the other story, which is about Michael's dead on. So it would help those who have read them before are like, oh, finally, we get to see these other characters, but you don't have to have read them. Mm -hmm. But when you do, you can go, oh, I want to know more. And you can pick up all of the three hat trick series or, and then the two, actually four, and then the free ones. Because yeah. there is the one that's not free, the overtime that's not free. Now, JM, the Love Wins series is, yeah. um, it's a, a series of stories, correct? It's not like an anthology? No, they're individual stories because some of them, I gave the authors leeway as to the, the length. And okay. some of them are around 12 to 20K and some of them are 20 to 30K and some of them are a little over. So it's if I put them in an anthology, it would be super, super long. With the We did a, a multi-author series over the summer called heat wave last summer and it was under the same criteria and the books that came in if we had put them all in an anthology it would end up like two hundred thousand words it would just be a, a ginormous book it would be used as a doorstop it would look like something stephen king had put out so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would it could be used as a weapon um mm. and, and the love wins is, would be the same also, I have found that our readers don't necessarily, the ones who read the gay stories don't necessarily read the lesbian stories. So if we put out an anthology of the whole collection, I don't think that the lesbian stories would get their fair, the fair share of the readers or people wouldn't necessarily pick them up because of the lesbian stories in the same book. They also have a different cover, obviously, to indicate which ones have... Um, the women in them and which ones have the men in them. Now, that's not to say that in the future we may do an anthology collecting some of them together and some of the, you know, the ones that fit better together in a print collection. However, print sales, I will admit, are not all that they're cracked up to be. A lot of people who want print seem to be the authors, readers, seem to prefer ebooks at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, ebooks are cheaper, quicker. I mean, you can if you decide you want to read a book, open up your Kindle or your phone and download it immediately. You don't have to wait for Amazon to ship it to you. So, yeah, I think I, what I've found at uh, going to conventions is that readers will get a you know, buy the books of the authors that let the their the best in paperback. Yeah. Or we'll get a book on paperback 
that they've already read and know that they love it and then put it in their paperback collection. Exactly. I mean, I have books in my library. I mean, I have a ton of books because I tend to buy books, but I have books that I will never part with because I love them. I read them all the time. These are the books that I read all the time. And then I have books that I've bought because they're on clearance or, you know, they were at library sales and, oh yeah, this looks interesting. And then when I read it or if I didn't like it, I pass it on. But for the most part, I, when I buy a book, I buy an ebook because it's cheaper. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just the, the fact nowadays it's easier to read ebooks. They're cheaper and they're quicker. Mm -hmm. So plus I have a Kindle and I can hold 4 billion of them. Whereas mm -hmm. I, you know, if you go to, to Panera to read and you want to read the new Harry Potter or it's not new anymore, but you want to read Harry Potter, you can lug something that's like super, super, super thick, or you can take your Kindle and have the all seven at your hands. It's a, it's a easier thing to read eBooks. I think also with, with romance in particular, and MM fiction as well with people who are not, I don't want to really say closeted, but some people are cl still closeted about it, but people who don't want to admit that this is what they read, particularly romance, but also gay fiction or, and, and I'm not just talking about people who are scared to admit this is what they read, but people who don't want to admit to say their husbands, that this is how much they read. <laughs> they can download it and nobody has to know. They've got 15 books they bought this week because there's no stack in the corner and they don't have to hear, oh, when are you going to read all these? Well, you have no clue how much I have. Four million books. You don't see the credit card statements. Thank goodness. But um, so they can hide their, their addiction. <laughs> A little bit better this time. So when you're selecting books for JMS books, what would, what do you look for? What's the trademark of a JMS book that you could like tell a reader, this is what you'll find when you buy a book from me? Well, we early on, we had broader, like we had a broader scope. I was, when I first started the um, publishing company, we were sort of open to anything that was LGBT and anything that was like genre specific that I was interested in. Like I like sci-fi, so we published some sci-fi stuff that was not LGBT. We published some mystery thriller. We we dabbled in everything. And then as we went on, because this year is our sixth year in business, as time went on, I realized what we could and could not market what worked for us what worked for our readers what people liked from us what people were looking for and so we've honed that down um and we've we continue to hone that down and i think that the you have to do that in order to stay relevant to the business you have to um know what works for not only the authors but also for your readers because i've always heard as a author oh, well, the readers stay with the publisher. And I never really understood that. But I think that that's true. I think that we have a set number of readers who like our books and who will take a chance on new writers who publish with us as long as we give them the type of books we've published in the past. So starting in about 2014 to, and on, we were very specific in honing our guidelines so that we were looking for very what works for us or very romantic 
MM stories. Um, happy ever after or happy for now. That is a, a viable ending. Um, the ones that do best for us don't necessarily have to have erotic content in them, but when they do, the, they have to be um, very steeped in romance. I think a lot of people send us submissions that they think are, that are gay fiction, that are not MM fiction. I think that a lot of authors don't understand the concept or the difference between the two. And that if you're going to submit to JMS books, you really need to do your research in what we've published recently. I tell a lot of authors who send us multiple submissions that we turn down. I say, look at our bestseller list, which I publish on our site under quarterly bestsellers. Look and see what sells for us because that's where you want, that's the sort of stuff we're looking for. Just because these are the stories that are doing well. These are the stories that we like. These are the ones that do, um, that our readers like. These are the types of stuff we're looking for. We're looking for uh, really loving relationships they don't have to necessarily start out that way, but they have to end that way. We don't mm -hmm. necessarily take a lot of um, BDSM. We've, we have in the past, but people don't really tend to like that from us. Um, contemporary sells better for us than other genres. Um, I don't know why that is. I know some publishers do really well with historicals, but we don't really tend to. Um, we have tried paranormal, some paranormal works better than others. So it's really on a case by case basis with that. But when I say paranormal shifters sell better than vampires, mm -hmm. I guess, but everybody's ever vampires at this point. <laughs> Thank you, Twilight. Um, so I don't understand why you would like one over the other. I would think if you like paranormal, you'd like it all, but what do I know? <laughs> um, lesbian is not as big a, a seller for us. I am always hesitant to take some lesbian stories because I feel uh, I'm always conflicted as a publisher because I always see it as a publisher and as an author myself. And as an author, I always feel like you should do your best to reach your best audience as an author. So I, I always, I know everyone always thinks that I'm of my, of me as a publisher, but I always want to also say, you know, as a publisher, yes, this is a good story. But as an author, are you reaching your best audience? Should you not maybe also try a lesbian centric publisher? You know, I don't want you to limit yourself to a audience that is mostly interested in MM fiction. And I don't know if that is always the best thing to do. Maybe not. But I don't want you to just send us a lesbian story without considering your other options. Because mm -hmm. some of them sell really well for us off the charts. Lesbian romance does very well. Lesbian erotica, not so much. Lesbian erotic romance that's contemporary does well. But if there's other sub, like if the, the, gist of it is anything other than the romance, not so much. And YA seems to have, I don't know, 
I don't know about the YA market at the moment. It seems to have lost. Well, uh, we were doing real well with YA for a little bit, but it seems like YA is not as profitable to the authors as it used to be. We've increased our um, word count minimum because the shorter stories were not selling well for our authors. And I think a lot of readers want longer stories in YA, which I can understand because I myself like longer stories. And I think that the YA genre is inundated with longer stories. And by longer stories, I mean like trilogies. I mean, look at the Hunger Games and um, I mean, Harry Potter. How much longer can you get? <laughs> so um, I think that the younger readers really want characters that they can invest in and short stories are not that. And there is such a dearth of, of queer characters in YA that I think that it would behoove us to really give them something of length that they could connect with. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we're not just not seeing that too much. I, I do like, like stories like Hattrick where they can grow with the characters. I think that's perfect because obviously younger readers and this is a very difficult thing for people who write YA to understand is younger readers always read old, older than they are. When I was younger, I read Stephen King because there was very little for us to read at that age. Now you've got 50 million things to read. At, there's a huge YA genre. But when you're 13, you're not reading books for 13-year-olds. You're reading books for 16-year-olds. You're reading books for 17-year-olds. So if you want to write for a 13-year-old, it's very difficult to do. You have to write older than the age that you're targeting because that's what they're reading. Nobody wants to hear that, but yeah. Just... Um, go going back to the, the gay fiction thing real quick, as a publisher, what is um, the difference to you between MM, um, MM fiction and, and gay fiction? Is it just the romance Quotient, or? Well, I think that romance is very strong in MM as opposed mm -hmm. to gay fiction. Uh, we've gotten a lot of gay fiction submissions that are very well written, but they are not, they don't have, they, they're literary stories. There's not or anything in there that are, is erotic or um, romance, or it's just, it's very autobiographical. Mm -hmm. um, almost like a memoir and it's not it's 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 fiction but it reads like a memoir and we've tried that as well publishing that in the past and it does not work for us okay. um, that's not to say that it isn't a valid literary uh, genre and that it doesn't work well for other publishers and when they're when we do get submissions of that ilk. I'm probably different from other publishers in that I will make an attempt to tell an author, you know, this is a very good story. It's not right for us, but here are some publishers who may be good for you. I know some publishers don't do that. Some publishers are like, sorry, it's not good for us. Thanks. I don't think that that's fair to an author whose book or story is written well. I think that it can be very discouraging when you don't know where else to try. So I do make an attempt to say, have you looked at this press or have you looked at this press? Because I know that it may be difficult for you when you're a writer and you're searching for, pre for presses or publishers and they just 
they don't differentiate and they're like oh these are gay publishers and they list everybody and you don't know the difference between you know x y and z so you're just sending them out and nobody is telling you why they're turning your story down so I try, if your story, you know, I try to give a little bit of guidance to that sometimes, if I have a chance. If you had to put JMS into sort of uh, a niche, would you consider yourself, do you call yourself a small publisher? I call myself a micro-publisher. <laughs> um, a small press is usually, they say it's like 1 to 50 employees I think that's disingenuous I think a lot of small presses I mean what we think of as small press is I mean because what we think of as traditional is a, a, an unfortunate term because we're all traditional publishers in that we are not vanity presses you know we're not asking authors to pay us to publish them small press is usually a smaller venue and I guess I would fall into that term. Um, and all, almost all of the e-publishers I can think of would be considered small press. They're not any of the big six in New York. However, I consider myself much, 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 much smaller than, say, Lucid or, or Torqueray or Dream Spinner or any of the others in that I don't have a staff under me. I don't have the you know, the investors, I don't have um, staff, I don't have anyone other than myself. Mm -hmm. meaning, meaning that you contract out things like editors and things like that? Yes, I contract okay. editing. Okay. So what's coming up this year for the imprint? Um, well, other than the love wins, I it's a very I, I will admit that I don't plan too far ahead <laughs> in much of anything, which is unfortunate. I mean, in any part of my life, I don't plan much ahead. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've been told that's not a good thing, but I I've gotten this far, so um, I tend to not like to plan too far ahead anyway because I feel I get nervous when there's too much that far ahead. But we have the Love Wins in February, and we do have several submission calls out there. I've found that in the past, when we've had submission calls, the unfortunate thing is a lot of authors write to submission calls and don't submit until the deadline. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of that myself, particularly when it like anthologies and such. I will be the one who, oh, this is a great anthology. I have an idea, and I will write to it and submit it at the 11th hour. So with that in mind, we've decided to start putting out submission calls that are on a rolling basis that are due every month. So in March, for instance, we have a, sub or in the end of February, we have a submission call for short stories that are called Men at Work. And it's basically men who find love um, on the job. That's been a theme that has worked well for me in the past and there are stories under 10k which is a good starting point for authors who are not familiar with us or who are not working with us yet who might want to get their feet wet or try us out um they don't have to commit to much they can just send us a short story and see how if they like working with us 
um, earn a little bit of money with us and then get in the door and maybe want to send it something longer um, later on down the line. Then we have a submission call that ends at the end of March that is an Alpha Omega call, um, which is from what I've been explained, because <laughs> I, I, it's not one I came up with. It was one Drew came up with, and he apparently likes the genre. It doesn't have to be werewolves, but it can be werewolves. Um, but we have a book that we published this month called First Omega that was very popular. It was actually hit number one on all romancy books for several weeks, which was quite surprising. And we've never had a book hit that high on such a large website. So that was interesting. So we have that submission call. It's for slightly longer stories. That's going to be due at the end of March. And then we have some that are rolling calls. It just means that as the stories come in, we'll schedule them for release. Um, there's three of those. And we picked those uh, themes based on what does well in the market, what we think that readers like. One is for single, or not necessarily single, but gay fathers who find love. Um, that's a theme that apparently my readers tend to tend to like, which is odd since I don't have children. Apparently I write them very well. <laughs> but my brother has five, so I guess that's where I get a lot of my ideas from. And then... Um, uh, similar to that, men who are drawn together over their love of animals, and then backup buddies, which is about partners who find love, um, partners being, you know, like cops or firemen or men who work together who find their relationship on the workforce or takes them uh, further together, takes a, a deeper meaning outside of the workplace. That's what we're doing at the moment. I was thinking of doing something in July, which is our anniversary month, but I haven't really hammered that out yet. But I guess I better soon. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I was thinking of doing like an anniversary themed stories. I don't know if that would be much of interest to anybody. But. Interesting. Okay. So there was our first part uh, with JM. She'll be back next week, and we'll finish that off with some more stuff about publishing, um, as well as her own uh, author journey and what's coming up for her this year, including her own uh, installment in the Love Wind series. Mm -hmm. So question of the week for this week. What is your preferred size and length for <laughs> books? Yes, I yes, did come up with that. that. I came up with this particular question, so yeah. So, so husband, what is your preferred size or length? You know, <laughs> I'm not gonna go where you're. What you're all here giggling about? Crazy man. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Let's be serious. All right. I don't know that I have a particular preference here because tell the story. I want to feel like you've told the story. I don't want to feel like you've either rushed it or that yeah. you're filling space for it. Okay. I'm happy to read books that are over 100,000 words. And I don't just mean, you know, in the genre. Uh, I've read some long books in the genre. Wade Kelly loves to write over 100,000 words. And I dearly love her books. I'm also happy to read non-genre ginormous books like, you know, Harry Potter 7 and Stephen King's The Stand and Under the Dome were, you know, doorstop books yes, that are. you could hurt somebody with. Thank yes. God for the Kindle for those. <clears throat> 
Um, but I'm also happy reading little short stories, too, and novellas. I think, you know, tell a story you've got to tell and make the story not rush and not feel bloated, and I'm good. Yeah. I have a non-answer to that question. Mm, that is a non-answer, I, I suppose. I do not prefer doorstops. Uh, doorstops turn me off. I think it's just a question of time. I look at that thing and that's like, you know, it's too much of a time investment. So if I see a ginormous, it doesn't matter how popular or, or how awesome everyone says a book might be. If it's, you know, a 700 page behemoth, I'm not going to touch it. And the same goes for an ebook. I do look at all the metadata, uh, before I click buy in most cases, uh, I'm not I do impulse buy ebooks, but I still research them. I want to know what they're about and what I'm getting myself into. I, and part of that is, you know, double checking the like Kindle page length. So I prefer um, uh, shorter category fiction uh, in most cases. So uh, with a romance that's uh, a full length novel, that's usually 200. Uh, to 300 pages um, anything over 300 I might you know think twice about maybe um, I also prefer uh, novellas I think novellas are nice you know a nice quick uh, fun read I go for those so I prefer I do prefer them um, uh, category length or shorter uh, just personally because um, I have commitment issues. Time, <laughs> time commitment issues are a thing for me. So, yeah. All right. So let us know what your preferred size slash length is for the books that you read. Uh, you can leave those answers on the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And remember, if you want, suggest a question for us, too, because we're always on the lookout for future questions. Okay. I guess that'll do it for this week. I think it will. Okay. Please tune in uh, next week. Well, we'll have the second part of the James Snyder interview. Um, and while you are busy busy downloading your the newest episode of our podcast or the back episodes, uh, we've got lots of great back episodes as well. Um, while you're at your favorite, um, what's the word? Downloading place? Your favorite that's as good as any. I don't know what you really call those. Um, when you're at your place where you're either watching or listening. Yeah. When you're on iTunes, uh, if you uh, appreciate and enjoy this show, uh, we would appreciate if you would share that with other people by leaving a review. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, have a good week. Hope your February gets off to a good start, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com.